Hello there, internet entrepreneur, business building warrior. This is your friend Jim coming at you with Silent Sales Machine Radio. And today I want you to imagine that you have a friend who spent much of the last year traveling and going to conventions and trade shows aimed at online entrepreneurs like you and I. Now, I know you and I are busy. We maybe attend one or two of these things a year, right? But what if you had a friend who went to one every few weeks, really had his finger on the pulse of the industry and came back excited, wanting to share a few things that he'd learned and a few observations that he'd made? Well, I have such a friend, and I'm going to get him on the phone in just a moment. He's actually also just recently returned from China, and he has a real finger on the pulse of what it's like to do business there as well. So this is going to be a fun time hanging out with a friend of mine who's been a great sponsor for our events as well, Mr. Jeff Cohen of Seller Labs. Let's get him on the line right now. This is going to be a good one. Silent Sales Machine Radio is here. I'm your host, Jim Cockrum, and I'm excited about today's episode because we've got a guest who I've been looking forward to having on the show for a while now. His name is Jeff Cohen, and I'm going to get him on the line here in just a moment so we can hear from him what he's been up to. And the interesting thing about Jeff is he works with Seller Labs. That's a company that provides tools for online sellers, and they've sponsored many events, trade shows, and conventions. And we've had them at our events, the jimcockramevents.com events that we've talked about a few times. He's been there. He actually spoke this last time, and we're going to talk a little bit about his presentation. And as a bonus, we're going to give you his presentation from our conference. He did such a great job. We're going to talk about that a little bit on today's podcast. But some of the topics we're going to hit is branding, you know, private label branding on Amazon. What's happening in that arena? Where's the opportunity? We're going to talk about China today. Is China a good thing or a bad thing if you're selling on Amazon here in the U.S. or somewhere else? China's coming on board now, and there's a lot of good news and a lot of opportunity that Jeff's going to talk about because of the changes that are coming with China. A lot of huge opportunities there for you, for those of us who are paying attention. We're going to talk about what it's like to balance family and work, and because we're both stay-home dad entrepreneurs, a little bit of that, not much, but some, and then the future of, of what Amazon looks like as all these big global changes are happening. What is Amazon focused on? And Jeff's been to recent events where C-level executives were on stage talking about what Amazon's excited about and where they're going. And for many of us who listen to this podcast, we see Amazon as an online selling opportunity, physical product, and that's about it. But Amazon is so much more than that. And paying attention to what else they're doing as a company is important. Next, we're going to talk about how Amazon is used as a search engine. You know, it used to be Google was the search engine. Well, now, if you've gone back and listened to episode two, if you recall, of this podcast, we talked about the PPI strategies, how you can find these golden gaps on Amazon where there's a lot of people searching for product and there's no product yet, how people are using Amazon as more and more of a search engine than even Google these days in a lot of ways. We're going to talk about some of that and then hopefully talk you into the fact that if you're listening to this show, if you have a vague familiarity with how selling online works and how the internet works as a tool of business and marketing, maybe you've not even had huge success yourself yet, but you're starting to understand these things and understand how it works. This puts you in a very unique and invaluable position to be able to help others 
use the internet the right way as a marketing tool. And we've got some specific examples of where this has happened. It's happened to me. It's happened to many people in our audience. And it happened with Jeff as well as, as he got a very easy appointment with the CEO of a major company and it just fell in his lap because we happen to know how Amazon works, how internet business works. If you've just listened to this podcast and that's your only qualification, trust me, you know more than 95% of the rest of the population about how online business really works. And that knowledge is valuable. So that's quite a long introduction, but I'm super excited to hang out for a while with a guy I have a ton of respect for. I think you're really going to like him as well. He's got some special offers for you in the show notes at silentgym.com. Let me get him on the line right now. Let's have some fun chatting with Mr. Jeff Cohen. Hey, Jeff, welcome to Silent Sales Machine Radio, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Excited to share with your audience and community. This is great, man. I've been really looking forward to this for a long time because when I look at the, the circle of folks that I know in this industry, you're quite possibly the guy at the top of the list who has his finger on the pulse of something that I just don't, I don't have myself. I mean, we've got our community and we do our, you know, our once a year live event, but you're with Seller Labs and you sponsor a lot of events for online sellers and even specifically Amazon sellers. And so you're at a lot of these live events. And I thought you'd be a great guy to kind of give us the, you know, what's going on out there um, in the seller community in general, just your perspective is very valuable. And I want to spend some time too. I know you just got back from a really cool trip. You went to China. And Amazon is exploding in China. And some people think only negative thoughts when they hear China and Amazon. But you've got maybe some positive twists that we should be considering here and some opportunities as well. Um, and, and I love also that you're one of these guys, for those who don't know you that well, you've got a real abundance mindset about all of this. And we've had some lengthy discussions about just how huge this opportunity is. Uh, so there's all kinds of fun directions we could go today. But let's just start there with you know, what's the mood of the industry right now among Amazon sellers and, and talk about some of the events you've seen and make some observations there for our community. Great. Well, thanks again for having me on. Um, when I look back at 2016, I think I attended upwards of 17 conference and trade shows, right? And so we'll kind of differentiate between the two. I have to explain this to of my course. wife every once in a while, right? Right. There's so different. a conference is when you're going somewhere and there's educational materials that are being presented. It's a little bit more of a formal learning environment versus a trade show where you're going somewhere and um, you'd be like sourcing products or meeting vendors looking for opportunities, right? So that's the, the big difference between that. And in 2016, I had the opportunity to not just go to trade shows and conferences in the U.S., but I also went to some in Europe and in China. And it gave me a very global perspective to where Amazon is today, but more importantly, where Amazon is going in the future. That's exciting. Yeah, just to be able to look a year or five years out and kind of imagine and dream. I mean, if you go back 10 years, none of us imagined any of this. So it, it's virtually impossible for us to imagine what the world looks like 10 years from now from an online marketing and business perspective. But we can certainly do our best, I think, between the, the information you're being exposed to and, and the audiences that, that you've been in front of and the people you've met and the things we're doing around here. I mean, if two guys are going to kind of paint a picture about where this thing's heading and what the mood is, I love thinking that way because uh, it helps prepare us 
how should we be thinking about all of this? Should we be nervous? Should we be excited? You know, what's the risks? So yeah, just fill us in. What have you learned? Yeah, so I am very bullish on Amazon. When you look at 2016 and you see that the growth of 2016 on Amazon mimics or even exceeds what we saw in 2015, that only begins to indicate that as we continue to move forward, the growth that we've seen in the past is predictive of the growth that we'll see in the future. And it's not always 100%, but If you imagine a very long rope being placed across the stage of a trade show, that rope indicates total retail sales, both on and offline. And only 10 to 15% of that rope represents online. And so the majority of sales are still (laughs) represented with offline sales, meaning that the opportunity for online growth is still massive. Yeah. The U.S. I mean, U.S. Census data tells us that number in the in the U.S. alone, it's about nine percent, and that was through three quarters of 2016. So it's probably gone up. We're probably over ten percent now. But yeah, we're in the infancy. I love making that point. And I think you covered this in a previous episode of your podcast. But you know, in 2016, Black Friday was larger than 2015 Cyber Monday, and then Cyber Monday beat. Black Friday. And, you know, one of the things that I think the terminology is changing as fast as everything else. So we don't call it Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We now call it, you know, it's it's the five, right? So yeah, it's the big now five. From, yeah. the, from Thanksgiving through Black Monday is the whole Thanksgiving holiday five season. And we're seeing massive growth. And as we look forward for Amazon, they're continuing to push prime, which means that sellers are getting their products faster and they're changing the landscape of how shoppers shop. And that's, I think, why Amazon is positioned to continue to be in the forefront. Because if you purchase products on a different website, your shopping experience just doesn't compare to that experience that you have at Amazon. You're going to get your shipping notification three days later because it took them two or three days to prep and ship your product. You're going to get your product four or five days after that. And with Amazon, you order your product and it's delivered a day and a half later. Uh, yeah, or, or even, uh, you know, we're using Prime now at my house. We get bags, right. you know, hey, we're out of milk. My 14-year-old orders milk. Bam, there's milk and cereal on the porch an hour later. You know, I mean, it. the world is changing rapidly. And Amazon is the transaction agent behind that change. I mean, no question. Amazon is the future, at least yeah, short term. So, so the conference that I just got back to was in in China and it was a Amazon Global Sellers Conference. And there were two really big themes at that conference. It was the only conference I've ever been to that had multiple senior vice presidents from Amazon speaking at the conference. Yeah, I was texting you. I'm like, hey, dude, get one of them to come to my event, please. Yeah. Like, I can't even get near them. <laughs> yeah, they don't they, they don't show up at events in the US. Yeah, and they we just don't. A little bit about yeah, why. Sure. But you know, there were two really big themes that came out of that conference. And one was that Amazon is a group of pioneers and builders. And so they were telling the story that Amazon started creating AWS, which is the web services group of Amazon. And the cost for Amazon to um, manage their web services as they were building these huge warehouses of servers started to become so expensive and cost prohibitive that Amazon started creating their own wind farms to create the power necessary to power 
their AWS systems. Maybe that's why their services were terrible. <laughs> we, well, we used them for a while. We went, we moved away from them. They were slow and inconsistent, but you know, that yeah. was just our experience. But that's how their innovation works, right? So right, they're yeah. thinking two, three, four steps ahead and everything that they do squarely relies and focuses on the customer. Yes. Customer experience is everything with them. That's right. Yeah. And so as sellers, we have to constantly remember what rules we're playing by. And this is where when we look to the future and people say, is RA dead? Is OA dead? Is it too late for private label? You know, this is where I say there is massive opportunity in all of these avenues as long as you're playing by the rules and understand that Amazon writes the rules and has the ability to change the rules and your business needs to be flexible to be able to shift with those changes as they occur. Yeah, and that shouldn't surprise anyone, especially in our listening audience. We've been pounding that point since the year 2002. Like, Embrace change. It's coming. It's inevitable. The stuff that worked today may not work tomorrow. You're going to have to shift and adapt and grow. The other, yeah, go ahead. You're going to make another uh, observation. I was going to say the other big theme that came out of that conference was, was one that is talked about a lot within the Amazon world. And I had never heard it before, but it's called day one. And so Amazon kind of takes this, you know, today is the first day of the rest of your life type of mentality. And so when you look at what Amazon considers day one, that's where they're kind of putting their future, right? So day one for them is Alexa and what's happening with their voice recognition system. Day one for them is private label brands and contract manufacturing and manufactured brands, right? So this is where Amazon sees their future. So it's not that they're saying that the other sides of the business are no good. They're just saying that as they look to their global empire, if you will, as they look to that, this is what they see is going to drive their future and success for the long term um, as you move forward. So what message would you have for us as sellers based on that? So the best really came from a quote that I heard at the conference. Um, and it, of course, it came from Jeff Bezos. They, they seem to quote him with every one of their quotes. It must be a, you know, a rule. Corporate policy. <laughs> right. But what he said was that it's easier to invent than to predict the future. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, I really like that one. And I thought it made a lot of sense because I went into a, a one of the breakout sessions that was on building brands in Amazon. And when we were in that session learning about how they teach people to build brands on Amazon, they had um, a seller who spoke at the conference and his name, I don't know it in Chinese, but he runs a company called Anchor. And Anchor is a $400 million seller on Amazon. $400 million, I didn't say that incorrect. And what they said was, you know, in the, in the private label contract manufacturing side of the business, reviews are critical to the private label processes. Products should start from the needs that the consumers express. And so if you take this line from one of the largest sellers on Amazon, and then you take the line from Jeff Bezos you see that the future is in understanding what the customers want and then providing that to them. And that led me to like what I called the magic formula, right? So there's this magic formula that makes everything successful on Amazon, but nobody, everybody's looking for a silver bullet and there is no silver bullet, but there is a magic 
formula. And the magic formula is very simple. If you have a better product and you add more value, you win on Amazon. And so you notice that what I didn't say it has to be a better product at a cheaper price. It just has to be a better product with a better value to win. And so if you have a better product and a cheaper price, you could win. Or if you have a better product and it has more features and it's slightly more expensive or it's competitive in its pricing, you still can win. But if you are just trying to replicate what's happening and trying to copy other people, your chances of success are going to be a lot more difficult. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. And there's so many gaps in the Amazon marketplace where you can go in and do this. And just, we have a stage full of people at our last event alone who have come up and they've competed head to head with the big boys on major brands. You know, Brett, we just did a podcast that hasn't come out yet as you and I are recording this, Jeff, but he has one of his hottest selling items from this past Q4, sold millions of dollars of it. It goes head to head with a big name brand toy. And they outperformed on Google, on Facebook, and no doubt on Amazon based on ranks and reviews. This major company that has you know hundreds of millions of dollars of budget to advertise their product on television and traditional media, and we're we're outperforming them on Amazon because yeah. we understand that we understand the things you're saying, and we understand how to grow a rabid, passionate audience too. Now that's a, that's another factor. You don't even necessarily you know. I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want people to create the wrong impression, but being the best, yes, it's important. But if you're second best and you have a rabid audience, you can beat the best and improve as you go. And your audience will love, if your audience loves you, right? So that's, you know, I, I don't know that Brett's, I haven't actually had this conversation with him. How does your toy compare to the name brand equivalent version as far as like sturdiness and how long it lasts and packaging and all that? But what he had was a rabid audience. Yeah. And I happen to know what toy you're talking about because Brett was nice enough to ship some to me so that I can have them for my kids. And I followed his audience and I see what he's done to build that audience. And you're right, because one of the things that was talked about was that when you build a brand, right, what is a brand? And it's important for people to understand what is a brand. And a lot of the other courses and things that were taught was that you went and you got a a product off of Alibaba and you stuck your sticker on it and you called it a brand. <laughs> right. We call that private label branding. Hey, right. stick a sticker. And, you're in. And, and that's not a brand, right? No. Now you can make some money doing that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they, you can. there's some and opportunity you, there, but that's not a brand, a sustainable right. long-term business model brand, right? A brand is when somebody comes to Amazon or anywhere else and starts searching for their product, your product by its brand name. And that, that was like, it was like, wow, that's so simple, but it's true, right? So I don't want a soda. I want a Coca-Cola. So I go and I go to Amazon and I type in Coca-Cola. I'm starting to search by brand name. I'm no longer searching by the generic. And of course, that's what's happened in the internet over time. So we used to go to Google for everything that we needed. And then we let Google kind of tell us where we should end up. But now we go to the home of the brand that we're familiar with. So if I want to travel, I go to kayak.com. If I want to buy something, I go to Amazon. If I need a hotel, I use hotels.com. I have my brand names that I've built a relationship with in some way. And that same thing starts to happen as you build a good quality product on Amazon and you build raving fans who talk about and engage with that product 
they then come and they search for that product that drives more velocity to your sales and it increases you for ranking on all different other keywords that put you in front of people that are not familiar. Can I give you one other example, Jim? Yeah, please do. This is good stuff. This is a funny, I, I actually did this at a trade show. Um, I gave a, a keynote presentation and I was talking about building brands and, and one of the cool things of Amazon, I call it, nobody knows you're a dog on Amazon. And the concept is that the same thing, nobody knows that whether I'm Jeff Cohen or whether I'm Jim Cochran, because I can be whoever I want when I create my brand on Amazon. So I was using an example that if you searched for a cruiser bike, um, the number one cruiser bike that was listed was a company called Firmstrong. And the number two was a company called Huffy. And number three was a company called Schwinn. And we've all heard of Huffy and Schwinn, but we've never heard of Firmstrong. But if you looked at Firmstrong's listing and you looked at the way they their reviews were and the way that they presented themselves online, they actually were beating the name brands that were spending all the marketing dollars in traditional retail. And that happens over and over and over again on Amazon. And so if you can find that niche opportunity, if you can find that that golden gap, I think is the term Brett loves to use. Yes. Then you can actually out market and build, you can build a better product. You can give more value and you can build raving fans around that. So after I get off a stage and shared this example, this guy comes up to me and he said, so why did you choose, you know, cruiser bikes? And I said, well, I just thought it was a really good example of what was happening. And he goes, well, if you were Schwinn, what would you do? And I said, well, that's you know a much larger discussion than than two minutes. But there's obviously some some quick things that I could point out. Oh, this is a Schwinn dude. Are you kidding me? And he goes, well, my brother's the CEO of Schwinn. I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So many cool things pop in my head. Can I just steal the microphone for a second? Yeah. That is how valuable we are understanding these things. You know, we, we say all the time, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other, maybe when we say it, we've been saying it for over a decade around here, but the basic knowledge that we have being Amazon sellers, and even back when we were eBay sellers and just the basics of internet marketing and how this whole new world works, even though we're all kind of fumbling our way into the wild west here, all of us feel that way. I'm sure that Jeff Bezos feels that way right now. Like this is all new. The rule books aren't written for this stuff yet. As confused as we feel. Those two or 3% of us who spend our days talking about this kind of thing, the other 97% of the population is completely confounded and they're basically holding a blank check saying, well, someone please come help me understand what's going on here. And us just being a few steps ahead of them, we are invaluable resources to these folks. I mean, the CEO of Schwinn, you're, you're that close. I mean, just ima- I'm imagining this right now. How many sales reps out there selling all manner of product? have been trying for years and failing to get an appointment with that guy. And you stumbled into one if you want it, right? And I've had that conversation four or five times, you know, with a C-level executive at a company who just, the light bulb just hasn't gone off that they need to consider Amazon as it, as a individual sales channel. They're looking at Amazon as part of, they're actually looking at Amazon in the same way they look at traditional retail. And that's why they fail. This is why my whole organization is built around the CES concept, C, consult. Once you understand the E and the S, how to expand your audience, how to sell physical product online, you can become a consultant. If you want, never do the other two again. 
if you don't want to, because you know how the world really works online. Uh, I want to talk, you talked about PPI and golden gaps. I just want to make sure we didn't lose anyone there because I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone saying, you know what? I haven't found my niche. I don't even know how to start finding a niche. You need to go back and listen to episode two of this podcast, Silent Sales Machine Radio. Go to silentgym.com or go to iTunes, find episode two, where I talk with Brett about golden gaps. And if you just simply sell an inch deep, a mile wide, we talked about RAOA, that's retail arbitrage, online arbitrage. If you do that for a while and then run some reports that we show you how to run, you can start to uncover some of these golden gaps where people are searching for products that just don't exist yet or where there's huge opportunity, but no competition yet. Uh, So go back. Episode two will be great for you to understand how that all works. And if you're ready to grab the course, Proven Amazon course has the PPI module in it, Proven Performance Inventory. So that's how you find those golden gaps. It really is cutting-edge stuff. I call it the best use of Amazon's paid uh, advertising program that you'll ever discover because you can experiment with with little ads, and Amazon will give you all kinds of data that you just can't get otherwise, and you could discover these uh, great opportunities. So I just wanted to fill that gap in, Jeff, before we move too forward, in, in case we uh, had lost anybody with that. And I don't want this to feel like it's over anyone's head. I mean, you know, you and I knew no Brett from, oh, three and a half years or so ago. He had never sold anything online before in his life, and now he's got an eight-figure business. You know, we've got these kind of people all around us now, these success stories, these millionaires popping up because of Amazon and these strategies that we're teaching. So it's a very exciting time. You know, I'm bullish as well, to use your term, on not just Amazon, but the Amazon opportunity and your opportunity to use them as a business opportunity, uh, one of the spokes in your wheel, one of the biggest spokes in your wheel quite possibly, but I'm not fully reliant on them by any means. I've got a lot of other things going on, as do you, I know. Well, tell me what else. Uh, what else is going on? What other you got? Any other uh, lessons or observations from your trip to China? Yeah. So one other one other large observation that I made in China was really for the last six months since we've expanded into China, I've been there twice, and I've really tried to focus myself on understanding the Chinese seller and the Chinese culture to understand. Well, first and foremost, how Seller Labs can fit in to China, but second, you know, there's a lot of fear in the US side of the business about China, right? Because, you know, they're they're hijacking our listings, they're they're cheating the system. These are all the things that are kind of thrown out about Chinese and Chinese sellers. And so I really tried to seek to understand the Chinese culture, the Chinese community, the Chinese seller community. And uh, I, I came away with a couple key observations. For one, wealth is new to China. And I I could get into more detail about that, but um, Chinese culture was one, if you went back more than about 20 years, where wealth was bad. And that's basically when the Chinese government was saying, give us all your wealth. And then that all changed and, and the prime minister of China or the emperor of China came out and said, prosperity and wealth is good. And that's why China <laughs> is creating a billionaire like a week or something crazy like oh, that. Yeah, I, I love, I've read articles, the last five years I've been a student of, you know, this is perhaps one of the most telling examples from the Chinese culture. You know, if you've studied world history at all, you know the Chinese culture is a few thousand years old. I mean, it's one of the oldest cultures on the planet. And there are, I was reading about these uh, small plots of land that for generation after generation after generation, as far as anyone can remember, going back 
great, 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 great grandpa kind of stuff, right? We've owned this, you know, I use the wrong word there. We've been working this tiny plot of land, these rice paddies. We've had, right. our, we've had our cow or our ox or our plow and we work these rice paddies and that's what we do. That's what our family does. We have some kids, they take our place and we, we give to the government what they require of us and they bless us with this little hut to live in. And now for the first time in generations, the only thing that changed was they're allowed to own that land now. They're allowed to buy it so they can own it. And once you own something, that pride of ownership, that ripple effect, now it's been decreed from the emperor of China. Money's good. Oh, yay, finally. Uh, So now they (laughs) own their land, and they're driving cars, and they have computers, and they have houses. And you know, it's like just over the course of a few years, you can just see it happening uh, to where free markets are taking hold in China. Now, you'll still hear stories. It cracks me up. It's like they don't want to call it capitalism. Because that's evil. Right. It can't. That's an evil word. But so they're trying to dip their toe in the water. But I heard this. Try to contrast this story with what we just said. You can now start to advertise your products in China for the first time. You can have billboards, right? So that's starting. You're starting to see that. Well, this home builder, this guy who builds multi-million dollar homes, was putting up billboards near the airport, which is where rich people go, and he was advertising his houses, showing some nice houses on billboards. We see that all all over the place in the United States. It's like, why wouldn't you advertise? Of course you advertise if you want customers. Well, the government made him pull it down, pull his signs down. Do you know why? No. Have you heard that story? He had to pull all of them down. Government said, no, you can't do it. Here's why. It makes people who can't afford those homes feel bad. (laughs) So, I mean, does that not tell the story of the condition of China right now? It's like, they're trying to get into free markets, but don't be too successful or we're going to smack you. Yeah, but there's this mentality that's going on there, and it's because of the way things were in the past, where the doctor and the street cleaner made the same salary. A shopkeeper felt that he was more powerful than his customer, and therefore, when you came into the shop, if you didn't want to buy at the price that he wanted to sell, he told you to get out because no there was soup another, for you, no soup there was for you. Another it's like the Seinfeld, people, right? <laughs> right. There was another billion people behind you that exactly. would buy that product, and they had to. And the price was fixed. Yeah. I mean, that's communism. That's how, you know. And that's in contrast to like our mentality of the customer is king, right? And you've been probably preaching that to your children since they were born. And you were preached that at a young age, customer service, the customer is king. It's built into our culture. That's a key differentiator between the two cultures. But in China, they have this culture. It's called the why, why not me culture. And it basically means that my neighbor just became a billionaire. So why can't I? And in America, we're kind of taught to work hard, play by the rules. You know, there's old money. So some people were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. But if you work hard and you try hard and you do your best, you can then grow out of that and you can become wealthy. In China, there was no wealth. And then in the last 20 years, there was massive wealth. And so it's actually turned into a competitive situation and you're actually incur- – it, it's almost an encouragement. I don't want to – cheating's not the right word, but if you can do something to get ahead, you're rewarded by the wealth that you get. And so therefore, their reward system is actually rewarding them to bend the rules, look for loopholes. It's the reason why they test so well, right? So the Chinese are, are notoriously known as some of the best testers in the world. Well, They have a test in China, and that test in China determines what college you go to, right? Just like the SAT in America, their students start 
studying for that test at like as early as 10 years old. And the reason for that is because they're not just taught how to get the, they're taught how to get the answer. They're taught how to do better on the test, not just the knowledge of that test. Therefore, they're taught to just be better test takers in general. And so all of these things kind of understanding their culture and understanding all our culture lead us to kind of where we are today. And I know I'm kind of going through this in a, in a quick notion, but, and what, so what you find is that when the Chinese come into the U S and they sell on Amazon and they are building their own brands, they're quick to launch pages. So they don't have good quality images and they're not um, optimizing their listing and they're not using proper translation and they don't provide good customer service. So the customers don't have a good experience. And, you know, we as Americans, it might take us a little longer to get there, but we're going to have a better product that follows Amazon's rules. Well, if you look at what's called the cross-border trade, the other commerce of China, those systems all reward the cheating and the loopholes and the skirting of the rules. And so Amazon and how it plays ball, both in the U.S. and globally, does not reward that. They actually penalize for that. And so it's it's a hard lesson for the Chinese to learn because it's not something that they're culturally used to, to being told, if you don't follow the rules, you're going to be kicked off this site. And so I know I'm getting into some pretty deep stuff here, but I guess the takeaway from this is that there are a lot of Chinese who are entering the market. Uh, there are a lot of Chinese manufacturers and Chinese sellers, but as U.S. sellers, um, as U.S. sellers and consumers, we understand the U.S. market significantly better, and therefore we can kind of protect our turf, so to speak, by following the rules, by doing things via best practices, and by providing the customer the customer experience they're expecting so that we overall have a better product, a better brand, and a better reputation than some of our other competitors that might be coming. Yeah, it give me give me the guy who goes slow and steady, ethically builds his business. I'll bet on him any day of the week over a guy who's testing, spamming, throwing illegitimate. And we're not putting all of them into this category. There's some brilliant Chinese sellers out there who are doing business the right way. But I mean, here's another statistic that kind of paints a picture. You know, my last real job that I had, I was selling Microsoft software and I was actually helping them with some piracy issues. And, you know, we'd get these studies that would come in and in the U.S., you know, 18% of all Microsoft software is illegal pirated copies, blah, blah, blah. China, it was something like, I'm not far off here. It was like 96% of all software, Microsoft in China was pirated. Now this is the, you know, this is 15 plus years ago, but it's just a cultural thing there. If there's a way to skirt the rule and gain an advantage and hopefully not get caught, it's kind of culturally built in there. Yeah, but it, it's changing. So if you went to Shanghai five years ago, you could go into a huge mall this, the size of Mall of America and buy any knockoff brand that you want. Right. Those malls don't exist anymore. Yeah, they're starting to cooperate with – they're starting to understand the importance of copyright right. and trademark. And, and So and you the, now have to go into the back alley if you want to buy those <laughs> things, just like you, just like you right. would in New York. Yeah, in or, New York, yeah. You, know? you, you can get a Rolex for 20 bucks in, in uh, New York today if you want to, yeah, right? But they don't, sell them, they don't sell them in the middle of Central Park like no. they used to, right? Right. So China is changing, and personally, I really enjoyed my trip to China. Um, I was very culturally stimulated by everything that happened there. I was, from a business side, 
I was blown away at how smart some of the manufacturers are in China. They're very similar, though, to the manufacturers in the U.S. in that they just want to take purchase orders and sell products. And so they're not looking to become Internet retailers. Marketing Uh, confuses them. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's just it's not what they do. They want to they want to process through their warehouses or through their manufacturing facilities. That's what they want to do. And something that I'd be happy to share with your audience, I'm working with um, the head of our Chinese group and and we're writing kind of a four or five you know chapter ebook on kind of. Yeah, under- I'm excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's understanding the Chinese culture and, and just kind of laying the framework of kind of what's happening in the cross border trade and and how we as Americans see them and they see us. Right. Because it's important for us to look at both. And, you know, I'm not of the opinion that everything that comes out of China is bad. I'm, I'm actually of the opinion that there are really good competitors coming out of China and there's a lot of opportunity there. And, and I'll even expand and say there's opportunity in Taiwan and India and, and other Mexico There's and other places to bring products as well as there's opportunity within the U.S. to get those products. So I'd be happy to share that book in the show notes and with any of your uh, listeners who are interested in reading it. Yeah, we're going to set up a, a special link if you go to – did you say sellerlabs.com slash silent gym, all lowercase – Yep. All right. We'll we'll put the book there and maybe some other uh, Seller Lab special offers and things. You can fill us in on that in a minute. And, um, you know, did you know I've, I've been to China? Remember, we've got uh, our our son, our four, now 14-year-old son, Tai, is actually from China. So we visited and seen it. Um, we got him as an infant. So it's been a while. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where he was from, but one of the cool things of, of – and we can go back to conferences after this. But one of the cool things about China, I've been there twice. I've been to two different cities, Hangzhou and Shenzhen. Both cities are like 20 years old. That's it, 20 years old. And they both have over two and a half million people in their population. It's incredible. They can't build infrastructure fast enough. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So yeah, but I I, I don't want to focus solely on that one conference, but I definitely have picked up a lot from that conference. I think one other, you know, you had kind of asked me an overarching question at the beginning. And I think one other thing that I've picked up from conferences and, and speaking to Um, successful Amazon sellers is that success is not always about the total dollar or the profit that you're, that you're making. It's about whether you're reaching the goals that you've set for yourself. And I had a seller talk to me about this because she was very passionate about it because she kind of felt like as a woman in the Amazon seller society, that everything's about, you know, I'm six figure, I'm five figure, I'm 10 figure. And she's like, you know what? I do this, but I've met all my goals and I, and therefore I'm successful. And it's something that I, I actually picked up from CES too. And I met a seller of yours and her name, I believe was Tina. And the reason I met her was because her husband was wearing a St. Louis Cardinals shirt and I'm from St. Louis. <laughs> right. They're from right outside of the area. Cool. And I remember talking to Tina and her husband and we were talking about how she got into this and what she was doing. And I said, are you at the level you want to be at? And she goes, I am as happy as can be. I make $5,000 a month. And by being able, and I, and I drop my kids off at school in the morning, I work and I pick them up from school at the end of the day and I'm done working. And the $5,000 a month that I make is enough for my husband, who's an over the road trucker to now be a, a local trucker. So he's now home every night. And so I love it. 
Yeah, and and so to me, I think it's it's one of the things that when I look at successful Amazon sellers is that success is not necessarily about how big you grow your business. It's whether your business is meeting the goals and expectations that you set and whether you're doing what's within the ability for you to do. Because some people, that's all they want, and there's nothing wrong with that. And she is just as successful as somebody who builds a seven, eight-figure business. Oh, I I couldn't agree more. You know, my definition of success, you know, not to kind of – steal the show with a more virtuous definition or anything, but you know, it has very little to do with numbers. If I have the love and respect and the trust and admiration of the people closest to me, I consider myself a success, right? I mean, that's, that's my definition of success. Now, when it comes to business, I would put a slightly different spin on this, not to disagree because I, I fully embrace everything that you just said, but I would challenge, like, you know, you mentioned Tina and her family and CES2, which was our live event, what, three years ago, approximately, coming up on two and a half, three years ago. I would be curious to know if it's possible to maintain that 5000 a month, because one of the laws of life that I embrace, and I believe it's a biblical principle, is, you know, when it comes to your health or your relationships or, yes, your business – there's no such thing as a steady state that you can predictably just maintain. You can't. Correct. It's either yes. going down or it's going up. And if you're not sure, that means it's probably going down with risks that you're just unaware of piling up around you. Does that resonate? Yeah. So I was speaking at a conference and I was sharing with the attendees um, at this conference about some of the global challenges and uh, that are coming from Amazon, right? A lot of the stuff we talked about with the Chinese sellers coming in and, and, and stuff like that. And this lady in the crowd, she raised her hand and she said, so are you telling me that I should stop selling on Amazon and move on and go do something else? <laughs> and I said, I go, well, uh, um, I go, well, let me ask you a couple questions. She goes, okay. I said, how many SKUs do you have on Amazon? She said, two said, okay, how long have you been selling on Amazon? She said, for two years. I said, awesome. I said, are you selling the same two products today that you were selling two years ago? And she said, yes. And I said, your business is destined to fail because you are not looking to improve your business. And the example that I gave was that if I go to the store today and I get a bag of potato chips and I eat the same potato chips every day, or let's just go with a bag a week, not a bag a day. Yeah, that's better. That's healthier. For for healthy, right? (laughs) That bag doesn't look the same as it did a year ago or two years ago. Consumer product companies are constantly innovating their product, right? They're now making products more healthy. They're they're taking out some of the stuff that consumers are saying they don't want to see in their food. They're changing the packaging to try different messaging. Yeah, colors. Colors. Isn't it crazy? That's what consumer packaging, consumer product companies do. And so as Amazon sellers, if we're not continually innovating – then we're going to get passed up, right? And so retail arbitragers, you can't go, if you went out this year buying the same things for Christmas that you bought last year, you are going to fail because the same things that are hot, the things that are hot in this year are not what was hot last year. I know people that made a killing selling frozen merchandise. Well, two years ago. (laughs) Right. If you had stocked up on frozen merchandise to to sell, right, you'd be be losing. 
right? right? And so you have to be willing to adapt your business over time. And then the last way I explain it is pick a local department store that you shop at. If they never turned their merchandise, how long would you continue to go to that store? You're just, you're not. You're going to walk in there and say, oh, they have the same shirt on the rack that they had six months ago, that they had a year ago, that they had two years ago. So you have to be doing things like using your product reviews to improve your product. Every time you place an order, you should be looking to make improvements to your product. You need to be changing the packaging. You need to be updating the listings. You need to be doing all these things that make your product better so that over time it can continue to compete in yeah. the changing environment. And, and one of the one of the beautiful things that we should understand is internet business people into you know I I don't make any major decisions about the direction of my business you know any of my businesses without consulting the person who knows exactly where I should go next and that is my customer. I do surveys all the time. And you don't have to, yeah. you know, I'll survey my list and uh, I learned, I, you know, I've got a bit of a statistics background that I won't go nerdy on anybody, but if you can get about 30 of your customers to tell you what they think of anything, you got all the data you need to make a really well-informed decision. Yeah. I mean, I know you did that before you launched this podcast and you did that before you announced the upcoming CES conference. And it's a great technique to understand. And if you don't have access to your customers, right? Because Amazon doesn't always give you access to your customers. If you don't have access to your customers, there's still ways to do it. You can go find like communities that, yes. you know, I call that, the, the that, gatekeepers, you know, you, right. you get in with it. It's kind of what we're doing right now. You know, there's a mutually beneficial thing happening right now. I'm kind of the gatekeeper for my audience. You've got an audience and Seller Labs has loyal fans. And when you go back to them and say, hey, I was on Jim's podcast, I get some new listeners. And then Seller Labs gets some new exposure and you get some new credibility and validation because you were on a somewhat popular podcast. I mean, that's how these things work. So you're just a relationship away from having an audience if you don't have one yet. All you got to do yeah, is what, bring some value. Yeah. And that's probably the the number one tip I give in when people say, you know, is it worth it to go to all these conferences, right? It's a question I get all the time. You went to 17 conferences. Was it worth it? The belief that I have as a, as a business development networking guy is that I have not met the person who's going to give me my next big deal yet. And so it's not that it's not that the people I work with can't give me um, or help me get to where I need, but the person that I need to meet is still out there. And it's not, Yep. that I'm going to meet him or her. It's that I'm going to meet somebody who can introduce me to him or her. So the Schwinn example the is CEO a great CEO of Schwinn. Yes, exactly. Right. I didn't meet the CEO of Schwinn. I met his brother, which is who better than willing to make a who was then willing to make an introduction. Yeah. I mean, you've instantly gone around of whatever walls and gates that he has. I mean, he gets a text from his brother and you got a phone call that afternoon if you want it. It's incredible. And you know, you know how much I'm sold on the relationships. I mean, I've I, I won't even go into it. If you, if anyone's yeah, listening to this, another, man, we can do another whole podcast oh, just on that concept. It is a biblical Hebrew concept of life and business success. It, you know, how many people would answer your phone call at three in the morning? If you it, it, tell me that answer to that one question, I can paint pretty much your 
the future of your life. I mean, that, that's all I need to know. How many people would pick up that phone call and say, yeah, I'm there for you. I can tell you the rest of your story for the most part. So we understand the importance of that. Yeah. And getting together live face to face, these events. So, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and not going to ask you to pick a favorite. What have you observed among these different events? Ours specifically, should someone who's thinking about it come to it? You make some general observations without naming names if you got anything negative to say, but uh, just contrast what's out there. Should someone be going to these? Let's say they've never been to a live event where there's other online internet entrepreneurs. What's the vibe yeah. there? I mean, the only ones I've been to in the last few years are, are mine. I've snuck into a couple other ones, but I love mine best, but I'm biased. Make, <laughs> make some as neutral as you can be observations at this point if I'm setting this up properly. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. So here's what I would say. I am strong proponent of conferences in terms of going to trade shows. Remember, we defined those at the beginning that a conference is an educational experience and a trade show is when you're meeting with vendors. A trade show is really just going to be dependent on where you are in your business and whether you're attending the one that kind of meets your needs best. And so you're going to have to do a little bit of research on that. When it comes to conferences, I kind of defined that there's um, what I call regional conferences, and these are going to be smaller conferences, maybe somewhere from a 75 to 150 people. Most of the people are going to be from a surrounding few states to come to this conference. Those are great for kind of meeting people that are local. If you, if you don't know anybody local that's doing what you're doing, um, they're typically targeting, I'd say, smaller sellers, more beginning type sellers. And then you have kind of what I would dub like... Um, the community conferences, right? that's what I would put your conference in. It's people who kind of, if you follow the community, this is the conference for you because you're going to find like-minded people that follow the concepts and strategies and conversation that you're following. And so you already kind of know that you're around like-minded individuals and like-minded um, sellers. And so picking your community conference is really as simple as if you enjoy the community that you're following, you should go to the community conference. And then there's a couple of the big boys that are out there, um, some big industry conferences where you're going to have um, a thousand to 10,000 people at the conference. And, you know, those I would probably say are not for the beginner. You want to kind of build a little bit of a network. You want to kind of understand that you can get more value because they're more expensive. What's really interesting and enjoyable about your conference, the the CES conference, is that um, a lot of the people attend year after year after year, but they're still very open to the new people who show up. And I know that's always been a fear of yours, right? That that new people are going to be kind of alienated when they show up at the conference, but because the community is so open and so sharing and they have activities for you to communicate through Facebook groups before you go. And I think you have some new, you know, some new attendee activities to kind of do meet and greets and things like that. There's a, a really strong sense of, um, of just people being friendly and nice to each other. I, as simple as that. And what I also find really interesting about the Amazon community in general is that I think because a lot of us are kind of work from home type of people, when we get out, we really seek to be extroverted, even if we're typically an introverted type of person. Um, now myself, I'm extroverted both inside and outside of the house, but a lot of people might not be like me. And so 
you get into these conference situations and these community situations where you have an opportunity to share with people that are experiencing the same thing that you are and allows you to do what I call level up. And so you, you kind of feel like you're at a certain point with your business, but when you get in a community, you see what other people are doing and the value of the content is great and it's usually worth the money. The value of the relationships is indispensable and you could never put a dollar amount on it. And I would venture to say if you surveyed the majority of the people that go to conferences, um, that they would say the, the biggest value that comes out of a conference is from somebody they met or something they learned in a, in a conversation they were having as much as it was the content. Yeah. The, the, the lobby experience, which, you yeah, know, I think you had to, you, you had to like build a whole new lobby experience for your conference because the lobby yeah. wasn't big enough to hold the lobby. Yeah. That's, I mean, we were very intentional. We've got our hotel picked out for 2017, uh, Orlando CES. If you go to Jim Cockrum events.com, you can get in on it to get the details, but we've got a huge center of the hotel area where they call it the fort. It's a two level area where we can just hang out because in survey after survey, uh, you know, speaking of surveys, after our first CES, I don't like to do anything if people aren't loving it and finding value in it. We'll just turn it off. Uh, after our first CES, we surveyed the audience, many of whom had never been to an internet business conference before. Hundreds of people. It sold out in a day, months in advance. It was just so embraced. And we've only done this four times. And, you know, so we're still kind of new to this whole thing. We're figuring it out. But each time we survey everyone who attended, and we only had one person. In this anonymous survey, it was a survey monkey survey, so we don't know who was answering saying what. All we know is our results. We only had one person of the hundreds that attended say that they wouldn't be back if we did it again. So we knew we were onto something. We had like, you know, 99.8% of our respondents came back and said, yes, we're coming back. So we knew we were onto something that people wanted this. Um, and yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, the value of these things. Now we try to line up good speakers and great content and we want you to be educated. We take that part of our, our conference very seriously, but it's afterwards in the hallway, in these meeting areas. Like I said, we have a very intentional lobby experience that we're going to be doing uh, at our event where, you know, several hundred people can hang out and, you know, we're going to have sponsors, hopefully have you guys back again. You're a great sponsor of our event every year and, you know, maybe have some food around and just a, a good hangout area with plenty of networking time where you can meet and form mastermind groups. And we've had people start multi-million dollar businesses from the partnerships at these things. It's just incredible. So if you haven't done one yet, you need to. Um, and you mentioned our community, our Facebook group. We'll stick that in the show notes too. All this will be in the show notes. If you go to silentgym.com, all the links we've talked about, the special offers, the book that Jeff has, we'll have links to all that. So you don't have to take notes furiously right now. If you're driving, put the pin down. We've got all this for you in the show notes when you get home. Okay. Hey, what else comes to mind, man? I mean, you're, you're well-traveled. You've been to a lot of these events. Any other advice? I mean, there's one of the things I want to give folks who are listening to this. Well, I'll give you a minute to think about that is, um, you spoke at our last event. Now, it's very unusual for us to have a sponsor on stage, but we actually started off the event with you on stage. You did a great job. And what I want to do, if it's okay with you, is give everyone who's listening to this in the show notes, we'll stick a link to the video of your presentation at our event because I loved the topic. Uh, 10 things that require zero talent was kind of a theme. And it, it was just these 10 things that just apply to life. And maybe you can tell us a story about how you came across this. I thought it was really cool stuff. And we'll, we'll kind of start to wrap up there. And unless you had any other observations from your, your Amazon online business travels, uh, I wouldn't mind 
heading in this direction next? Yeah. So uh, to wrap it up, I would say that um, if you do attend a show, don't be afraid to meet people. If you see me, come up and say hi. Tell me that you heard me on the podcast. Let me know whether you enjoyed it or not. I love getting feedback. And you know, don't feel like people that you're meeting or that you're hearing on these podcasts or or webinars you know, are not approachable, right? Um, I know, you know, Brett and I are very good friends and it's just because I reached out to him and started a relationship chatting with him. Um, it wasn't even because of my relationship with with Jim and, and you and, and CES. It was just because I had met him at a show and we kind of hit it off. So don't be afraid to do that because that's how you're going to get the return on investment. Great advice. Yeah. It's about the relationships, man. That's yeah. Beautiful. So, so the list that you're speaking of is is not a list that I created. Um, I, I've actually tried to research the origin of the list, and I can't. It's hard so, to find, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So so you know, I guess I'll say I'll, I'll give a free year of feedback genius if anybody can to the first person, not anybody, but to the first <laughs> person who can actually provide me the historical documentation of where it comes from, because I would love to give credit, the proper yeah. uh, the proper credit uh, to it. And it's called Ten Things That Require Zero Talent, and you know. What was interesting about it was that it's a list that are things that don't require you to be better than somebody else at. They're just things that you can control as an individual. And so this is a list that we um, started on day one with our 9U baseball team. Um, So that's kids who are under nine years of age. And we had kind of the B team, right? So they weren't selected to be the best. They were the rest of the kids. And when we got them together on day one, uh, the coach stood in front of everybody and said, listen, I understand that you, you might not be able to pitch. You might not be able to hit. You might not be able to field. But these are 10 things that you can do that require zero talent. And if every day we show up and we do these 10 things, we're going to get better as people and as baseball players. And the story that I told, and they're going to be able to watch the video, but the story that I told was that we literally started every practice and every game with this list. And in, so that's probably over the course of about six or eight weeks. It was this, the kids probably heard it 30 plus times. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just drilled it into their heads. I love it. Yeah. And it, and it got to the point where we would get around the circle and the kids would go, okay, now we're going to learn the 10 things that require, you know, they were kind of mimicking us, yeah. but they were hearing us. And so the, the things that require zero talent, I'll go through the list really quickly is being on time work ethic, effort, body language, energy, attitude, passion, being coachable, doing extra, and being prepared. And so- It's a great list. What we drilled back into the kids was that they can show up to the game when they're supposed to. They can have on their uniform correctly. They can have their glove and everything be ready so that we as coaches can get into coaching. When we provide them an example- of how to approach the batter's box, and then they try that, that's being coachable. When they are not constantly asking, and this was a tough one for them, am I going to pitch? Am I going to pitch? Am I going to (laughs) pitch? They were showing up with the right attitude, which is that I'll go and do whatever you need me to do. And when it's my turn, it'll be my turn. And so I kind of went through these 10 things in the presentation and explained how each one of them applies to us as sellers and not just the 9U baseball team. And I'll kind of leave it 
for the story to be told. That's a good as tease. What happened? Yeah, yeah I'll kind of leave it as to what happened with the team and how they kind of took the zero talent mentality yeah, so um, into the rest of their season. I don't want listeners can go watch the video in the show notes at silentgym.com for this episode and, and hear the rest of that story. How that uh, the bad news bears, if you will, performed <laughs> the rest of that season based on these. And I think. And I think what's important, I think what's important because it, it, you know, the thing that you asked me was, Hey, Jeff, I want you to come up. I want you to speak. And I want you to kind of share with sellers what you've learned from your time of speaking to other sellers. And it goes back to what I said. Success is based on what your goals are. And you as a seller can control your success. And there are things that you can do that actually require zero talent. So you don't have to be better at doing some things than others to still be successful. And if you focus on what you can do right and you focus on the things that require zero talent, you can be more successful than other people. And that's the basic theme. Yeah. And you know, one of the other observations I made, I was talking about this list with my kids. Everything on that list requires an other oriented mindset. As soon as the world becomes all about you, half that list becomes instantly impossible. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other half is soon to follow. So it requires in, in success in business is just that. I know you you recognize the truth in that as well. I mean, if, if you're not serving others, you won't make a profit. That's the only way to make a profit. And we've talked about that in past episodes as well. But man, this is really cool. Uh, this was a, a great program. I had a lot of fun doing this. We're going to have to have you back again real soon. And as you travel around, you know, I have one, uh, one final bit of a personal question, just curiosity. I mean, you traveled you went to 17 trade shows and conferences last year. How's your wife feel about all this? Have you got, has she sold on this idea of you traveling and how much it helps the business? I mean, like, how does a fa- how do you as a family man? Now, some people travel a whole lot more than that, but man, I can't see myself doing that. How's, how's that work out around the house? So my goal for 2017 is to say no and is to really. <laughs> You're going to say no more. All right. I got you. I don't like being, I mean, so my wife has been amazing and she's been awesome through it all. Um, she understood what I was trying to do and accomplish in 2016. And she was very supportive of it. As I look forward into 2017, I'm going to, you know, attempt to say no. And it's mainly going to be not giving up as many weekends. Um, That's the only thing that I really missed is I'm okay as a businessman traveling during the week and understand that that's part of business. But when you, when you miss the weekends, you miss a lot of the family time. Yeah. Um, You got some, uh, uh, what's his Jonah, your basketball yeah. player, right? Yeah. It, yeah. I have three, I have three kids. I have three a, kids. A, a 11 year old daughter, 10 year old son and a, and a six year old son. And, you know, ultimately when it comes down to it, I just, I want to be there. That's why I do what I yeah. do. That's why I do this business because it gives me the flexibility to be able to pick them up early from school and, right. um, and, and, and to skip out and, and have a fun day with them. And so I want to be able to have that good balance uh, and make sure that I'm not putting undue pressure on the rest of the family yeah. um, for what I'm doing. So, yeah, I appreciate you asking. Man, we're, we're blessed to be able to get the, to make those kind of decisions. If I had stayed on the career path I was on, 70 hour a week, 70 hours a week was kind of the expectation and be willing to travel anytime we tell you to. And we don't know when you'll be back was kind of the expectation, you know, and man, we're blessed to be able to just strategically think through, like, yeah, how much do I want to be home? How much... Do I want to be around? Hey, take your, Hey, you know what you should do? Uh, CES 2017 is in Orlando this year. Bring the whole crew, man. Bring them all. It's Disney, dude. <laughs> Come hang out with us. 
because you got to keep that date on your calendar now. Come on. I mean, you're, yeah, you're well, going to say no a lot, but we need you at that one. All right. Yeah. I, you know, it's hard. <laughs> there are certain mains, there are certain mainstays that, that, that won't be told no, but I, I think it's just the, it's the in general of, um, wanting to, um, make sure that balance is there. And, and, yeah. you know, I, I was even smart in, in that I've hired somebody who's younger and is not married and doesn't have a family that I can send as a surrogate. Yeah, um, perfect. Yeah. You know, and be able to still have a presence at shows and building so that, that team. That, that'll yeah. help as well. That's beautiful. Well, your valued partner, thanks for the great advice. And it, I wasn't sure where all we'd go today, but this, I'm thinking, it was undoubtedly was just awesome for the listener because there's so much meat in today's podcast. So thank you for being a guest today. And uh, don't forget the special links, everything we talked about at silentgym.com. Go to the show notes for this episode. And uh, hey, you, you said something about a special offer for folks. Fill us in. Uh, I know Seller Labs has some incredible products. For people who listen to this today, we're going to drop it on that link. Um, it was sellerlabs.com slash silentgym. What offers are you going to have for them there to give them a little teaser to incentive to go over, check it out? Yeah. So first, I thank you, Jim. I thank your community. I feel I've gotten as much from your community as you've gotten from me and or maybe even more. And, and I appreciate it. I think that uh, I love to connect. So, you know, please find me on Facebook, find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on both of them. Let me know what you thought of the show. Um, I always love feedback. We're in the business of, of feedback. So that is uh, only natural that I ask for it as well. You know, leave comments in the show notes um, as to whether this is something that's been valuable to you. And uh, like Jim said, if you go to sellerlabs.com slash silent Jim, we're going to offer the ebook that we talked about, as well as a 45-day free trial of our um, automated email tool called Feedback Genius and a 30-day free trial of our product research tool um, an analytic tool called Scope, and um, maybe I'll even you know work with Brett to uh, to put together a little video of how Scope and PPI can can kind of work together. And so we'll offer those free trials. If you're a member of Jim's um, the Pack course, the Proven Amazon course, um, check the uh, resource section because uh, we do have special offers for our software for all Pack members. So make sure you check there if you are a member of Pack because we do have some uh, better deals that are only for members of the Proven Amazon course. And uh, you know, love to connect and, and hear feedback from you. Great, man. That's awesome, dude. Thanks for the generous offers. And, and yeah, inside the Proven Amazon course, extremely generous offers on the tools that Seller Labs has to offer. So if you haven't got the Proven Amazon course yet, get it. It's an incredible investment. You guys have heard me talk about that enough before, though. You should have it by now. What are you doing if you don't have that course yet? You think you're selling on Amazon without that? You have your eyes opened up by all the opportunities in that course. But hey, time well spent. I think we'll cut it off right here. Looking forward to doing this again real soon. Man, I hope 2017 just kicks off incredibly well for you, buddy. I really appreciate you and all you listeners as well. Let's make it a great year. Hope to talk to you again real soon. This is Jim, Silent Sales Machine Radio, signing off.